What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 48 of the 2QB Experience podcast. Uh, my name is Greg Smith. I'm your host, and I do all my work at 2QBs.com. And at 2QBs.com, we just released our second edition of the 2017 Draft Guide. Uh, today is August 7th. We have updated rankings and projections all geared towards 2QB and Superflex leagues. That includes new outlooks for the Dolphins quarterbacks based upon Ryan Tannehill's injury, all the other amazing articles that were already in the guide, so if you want to pick up your copy, if you haven't done so already, it's draft season, get prepped. 2QBs.com is where you'll find it. Use the promo code 2QBXP and you'll get 10% off. I'll read that back once again. Those, that's the number two and then QBXP to get 10% off your copy of the 2017 draft guide. And one of the key contributors to that guide is our guest today. His name is Derek Class, and he is at QB Class. Is it Class or Clausen? Let's just start there. It's actually Klassen. I'm surprised you got that right. Most people uh, botched that one, actually. <laughs> all right, so Derek Klassen is here with us at QB Class on Twitter. He did all of the scouting reports that are in the QB capsules that are in the guide. So that's 55 different quarterbacks now, I think, at this point, where you write up you know, their mechanics and, and things like that. Um, you can also find his work at Optimum Scouting. So, Derek, besides those, uh, besides those QB scouting blurbs that you have in the guide, you also wrote a recent article at 2QBs.com, and this one's about air yards to sticks and, you know, which quarterbacks succeed on third down and how aggressive they are. Air yards to sticks measures the distance between an intended target of pass and the first down marker, correct? Yeah, it's it's kind of similar to Football Outsiders' uh, Alex metric, but yeah, it basically just measures, like, how often quarterbacks are throwing short of, to, or beyond the third down, or the first down marker on third down. So it's only looking at third down, right? Yeah, correct. Which quarterback surprised you the most with where they landed in that spectrum compared to your expectations? Uh, I would say Colin Kaepernick. And now I know Chip Kelly's offense was designed for a lot of short passes and a lot of quick passing. Uh, you know, they did a lot of spread stuff. But Colin Kaepernick, I think he can be aggressive. He wants to be aggressive. Um, he has a very good understanding of when to be aggressive and when not to be aggressive. Um, and I think we saw that, you know, back when he was in Harbaugh's offense. And I thought it was weird that he actually was negative in terms of his average air yard to six. He was negative 0.6, which is really one of the uh, the lower guys on the spectrum. And I was I expected him to at least be around average. Um, and I understand Chip Kelly's offense, like I said, is intended to be a short passing offense. But I was definitely surprised that he wasn't a little bit more aggressive than he was. Do you think some of that has to do with how bad their receivers were last year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a handful of guys toward the bottom that were like that. Um, you know, Jared Goff didn't play very well, but I think that played a part in him being so um, conservative on third down. Same thing with Sam Bradford. I definitely think that there were a couple of guys near the bottom where they just didn't want to trust their receivers. And I totally understand that. Um, but it, it did lead to not being able to convert on third down as often as I think they would have liked to. So what do you think we can take away from the AYTS metric in terms of fantasy? Like I look at the, you know, where these guys ranked and, and you have Blake Bortles listed as a subpar quarterback. We know that he's not very good, but he was a guy who on average threw beyond the first down marker on third down. And I think that that you can kind of look at the fact that he has overperformed expectations the past couple of years and, I mean, is there a through line there? I guess that's what I'm asking. Can we infer from the fact that he made, you know, the positive half of this list? Does that make him better for fantasy than, you know, say someone else? Um, I, I think with Bortles specifically, that's tough because I think he's always going to throw a lot of interceptions and a lot of incompletions because he's not 
the most accurate passer or the smartest guy. So I think when he's getting aggressive, he tends to not really be hitting his target. I mean, he actually had one of the lowest uh, conversion rates on third down. So even though he was being aggressive, he was one of the guys whose aggression really didn't, uh, it didn't really turn into anything. And so I don't think him being on the positive half in terms of being aggressive necessarily is a, a good thing for his fantasy outlook or anything like that. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a good point because you can look at some of the quarterbacks who ended up on the negative side and see that there are still good players in that range. You know, Drew Brees, Matt Stafford, Andy Dalton, Dak Prescott. Like, these guys were all very good for fantasy last year, even if they weren't throwing beyond the third or the first down marker on average, right? Yeah, there's still definitely a couple of functional guys. You know, like you said, um, Dak Prescott was definitely a great one. I mean, I think he had either the highest passer rating or one of the highest passer ratings um, of this past season. Um, you know, like you said, Andy Dalton. Uh, I mean, there are definitely a handful of guys that were at the bottom that were good. I think it's just when you look at the split versus who was above zero and who was under zero, I think there tends to be more co- more good quarterbacks that are throwing um, over zero and tending to throw beyond the sticks. One thing, see, the, the thing, the point I would raise with that, like the issue that I could take with that is that in general, there are more quarterbacks on the list that threw beyond the first down marker, right? And that makes sense because that's the goal. So just because there are more good players on that list, I don't know, it doesn't quite jive with me because there are more players in general on the list. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's totally fair because, you know, if you look at the um, the list that has all of the players who threw a buzz zero, I mean, there's a lot of really bad quarterbacks that were doing it. Um, Matt Barkley was super aggressive, Josh McCown, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Brock Osweiler, just to name a few that were at the top. And so um, I think that's totally a fair concern to say that, you know, more guys than not in general are going to throw past the sticks. So it's kind of unfair to say that um, more who are throwing past the sticks are good. I mean, I don't really know how to explain that one. That's 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 probably the best concern I've heard in terms of uh, why this could be a little faulty. Yeah. And I mean, and your article definitely lays that out in, in you know, looking at the correlation between these stats, like you admit freely that this is not necessarily the most indicative thing. You're just trying to find small trends, right? Yeah, because um, when you look at the guys who are under zero, I mean, they're still, like you said, like there's a lot of good players that are above zero, but when, but that's because there are a lot of players who are throwing over zero. When you look at under zero, there are more players who are I listed as either good quarterbacks or at least, you know, mid-tier functional guys um, in terms of like the overall group for guys that threw below zero. Because, you know, I had Dak Prescott, Derek Carr, Jabriz, who were all good. And then mid-tier, I had Andy Dalton, Matthew Stafford, Ryan Tannehill, Colin Kaepernick, and Sam Bradford. Um, considering that there were only about 12 or 13 guys who were under zero, for about half of them or more than half of them to be at least functional quarterbacks, I think that's pretty good um, considering that they were throwing so short of the six so often. Yeah, and you can also kind of think about the fact that this does only look at third down, and, and that can kind of help you explain why someone like Drew Brees might still make the list on the negative side because, you know, for the most part, their offense was very good, and they were getting a lot done on first and second down to the point where third downs, I mean, this might just be a sample size issue for him, who knows, but Anyway, interesting stuff. We don't need to go too much further into it because people should read the article at 2QBs.com. You did just mention Ryan Tannehill, and I want to transition here to some two-quarterback-centric news for fantasy purposes. Tannehill is the big big deal in two-quarterback fantasy at the moment. He's probably done for the year, so I want to get your take on Jay Cutler versus Matt Moore. Now, we probably know that Jay Cutler 
is going to be the starter based upon the contract that they signed him to. But what do you see from a scouting perspective when you look at these two guys? Are they that different, or, or what are you know the strengths of one versus the strengths of the other? Cutler's so tricky because for a large part of his career, I was kind of a Cutler apologist. I thought he, for as many frustrating moments as he had, I thought generally he kind of overperformed given a lot of the offenses that he had. Now, I think towards the end of his Chicago career, like I think his Gase years are kind of overrated because... Yep. Gase really did a good job of protecting him and, and not allowing him to have his bad Cutler moments. And then I think when we saw last year when he was playing, he was easily the worst that he's ever been in his career. You know, he usually had this wide spectrum of oh, really good plays and really bad plays. And last year, it just seemed there weren't as many of those good plays. And there were a lot more of those bad plays that were just inexcusable. And so for Cutler to be coming off of that type of year... Um, to be moving on to a new team. Now, I know it's the same system that he's had before, but, you know, it's all new receivers, new offensive line, all of that. And then for him to be, he's now 34, and he tore his labrum pretty recently. I mean, there's just a really bad hurricane of things surrounding Cutler that it, it I don't see how he's going to end up being very good. He's definitely not going to be as good as Tannehill was. Um, and I don't think he's going to be considerably better than Matt Moore. I do think he's going to give more peak plays to the guys like uh, Devontae Parker and stuff like that, and he's going to be able to hit them more down the field. But, I mean, Matt Moore is going to protect the ball better. Uh, he's proven he can be okay. I don't think Matt Moore is great, but he's definitely one of the better backup quarterbacks in the league, and I think you can do some of the same things that you did with Tannehill, whereas I think with Cutler you're going to have to kind of – I mean, you're going to have to really, really protect him. I don't think Cutler's going to be that much better than Matt Moore. I get why they did what they did, but it just didn't make too much sense to me. Yeah, I'm with you. Jay Cutler has had the issues with health over the past few years. He hasn't played a full season in a long time. And that we can use as a like an excuse or a crutch to say, oh, well, that's why he didn't perform well. But at some point, you got to put to get, put it together on the field. And I'm, I'm with you. I think the Adam Gase year was one where Cutler's performance was overrated. I think he was actually better the year before Gase got there. I, I know he was in terms of fantasy points per game. Um, also in terms of, you know, percentage of top 20 finishes at the quarterback position that year. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not super excited about Cutler. Now, with that said, Tannehill was already like a, a mid to low end QB2 type. I think that he was being a little disrespected in two quarterback drafts just based upon, you know, the other guys in his tier. I think we're all being valued higher than him for no reason. But either way, like I do think Cutler or Matt Moore is going to be a downgrade from Ryan Tannehill and that's a problem that's a problem for fantasy drafters because now all these you know worst quarterbacks have to jump up a spot we're talking about Alex Smith Joe Flacco and so on and we also have to throw Jay Cutler into that mix below them as, as a guy we may need to draft if we choose to wait at the position like I like to do so I, I think that Cutler is probably going to be okay you, but you're not only as a matchup player you're not going to want to use him every week and there is a good chance that Matt Moore eventually takes over because Cutler gets hurt again or Cutler is ineffective because he hasn't been effective in a long time. And we've seen Moore hold his own to some extent uh, when, when Ryan Tannehill has missed time. So I, I think Cutler kind of falls into that lower tier of quarterbacks with you know Josh McCown. I, th I think I'd still rather have Cutler than either of the Denver guys. Um, although if we knew which Denver QB was starting, uh, that might change my mind. The fact that we don't know is what makes it Makes me want to go with Cutler instead. Um, I'd probably still draft him over Tom Savage or Deshaun Watson. I, I don't know. There's there's something to be said for having the Dolphins starting QB. I just I worry there's a lot of risk with Cutler. Um, I mentioned Watson, and while his outlook hasn't completely changed, 
He did lose a receiver, Will Fuller, broken collarbone, out two to three months. Does this impact how you're looking at that Houston offense, Derek? Yes and no. I think in terms of so, like, I don't think Will Fuller was going to be a super, super productive player just because I don't think Watson is a great deep passer. Um, I think he's definitely going to favor a guy like Nuke Hopkins who can be just like a, a contested catch guy and always catch the ball kind of like what he had in Mike Williams at Clemson. So, but what Fuller did for that offense is kind of what we see with what Ted Ginn had done in Carolina or what Deshaun Jackson had done in Washington is that they just, the guys like that terrify defenses into allowing cushions and allowing vertical stems to push further up the field than they normally might. And that's going to make things super easy for, you know, their tight ends in the, in the short range and for guys like Newt Hopkins um, and even for Braxton Miller, Jalen Strong. And so now to not have that vertical presence, they're going to have to rely on Newt Hopkins to win one-on-one on the boundary more often, I think. And also it's going to put more pressure on Braxton Miller to really develop as a player where, you know, last year we saw some flashes, but I, I he definitely had a lot more down moments than we were hoping. And so with Fuller out and if Braxton Miller can't really develop into the receiver that we or that the Texans need him to be, um, I think they could run into some early problems. I mean, I think Watson is a better quarterback than they've had for the past you know three years now. And I think that's definitely going to help. But in terms of receiver talent, I think they're going to be worse off. Uh, than they were a year ago. Yeah, there's a weird push and pull with the tight ends, C.J. Fedorowicz and Ryan Griffin. With Fuller out, that means that those other those tight ends are probably going to get more targets altogether. But without Fuller, you know, taking the top off the defense, that means those tight ends are going to be facing more, you know, pressure from the safeties on those routes. I, I think ultimately it's probably a net negative for them, if only because, like you said, Watson didn't necessarily have the arm strength to be hitting Fuller deep down the field in the first place. And so they were probably already looking for him just to be a decoy on a lot of the routes so that those tight ends could get open. Uh, It's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. I want to move to New York and news with Sterling Shepard's low ankle sprain, not the dreaded high ankle sprain, and check your temperature on Eli Manning. What do you think about Manning and the Giants offense now that Shepard is? I mean, we don't necessarily know if he's going to miss time, but he's a little dinged up. And what would be the outcome of him missing time do you think I think that's going to hurt a lot because I think the way that they were constructing that offense was for it to be a really spread out uh really quick passing offense and Sterling Shepard is such a good route runner he's so good right off the line of scrimmage that if they were trying to run stuff like um you know shake routes out of the slot where he's just got one-on-one and he just you know is running only a couple of yards down the field and quick hitting inside or something like that Sterling, uh, Sterling Shepard was so good at getting open really easy like that. And I think for them to not have that over the middle, now they're going to have to do, be a little bit more creative with Odo Beckham. And I don't know if they wanted to do that because I think if you look at that offense, it's a lot of ISO routes where they're just putting, you know, Beckham on the boundary as much as he can and just trying to let him do his thing. So I think they're going to have to be a little bit more creative with him. And I think they're going to have to expect more from Evan Ingram early on, which, um, could be a good thing if he's as good as we hoped, and it could be a really bad thing if he's not as good as um, as people are hoping. So um, in terms of their receiver talent, I think, and, you know, Brandon Marshall is, he's definitely old. on the decline of his career. Yeah, he's old. <laughs> he's old, just he's, say it. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, he, because now he has to be their wide receiver number two, because I think when, when Shepard was uh, healthy, he was going to be their number two, even though he was going to be more of a slot guy. Especially between the 20s. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. And now for Marshall to have to step up and be more of a chain mover and stuff like that, I think that's going to be a problem for the offense. 
And then, like you said, you were talking about Eli Manning. I'm a, like I was with Cutler. I'm a little bit of an Eli apologist because that offense is now setting up to be a quick passing offense, and that's never really been Eli's game. He's been always he's always been more of a play action, deep shot, intermediate type of guy. And I understand his arm is falling off a little bit in that sense, but I think when the offense is designed to be that, he's still functional. And now it's not, and it's it's he's definitely still in this weird adjustment period where it's it's tough for him, and I don't think he's ever going to really be that good anymore. But I think Giants just have to the Giants fans just have to hope that he can be the bare minimum good. And I think even with Shepard out, they still have enough to make him functional, especially if they can get production out of Paul Perkins, who I think is pretty good. Yeah, I'm the opposite on Manning. I think that he's toast. I don't think he's very good at all anymore, and. I am really worried about that take heading into the fantasy season because I don't own him anywhere. But I look at this offense and I see, you know, that structure with Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, Brandon Marshall, Evan Ingram, Paul Perkins, and you can see the pieces are there for him to succeed. And and I'm fully prepared for him to prove me wrong just because of, you know, Murphy's Law and whatnot. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm so afraid of being burned by him. And in the end, I, I don't want him, but I think you can justify picking him if only because Odell Beckham Jr. is on that team. He just does so much for that offense that I don't think you can discount that in terms of how you value Eli. Now, I'm still going to draft him behind Carson Palmer and a bunch of other quarterbacks that other people are taking behind Manning, but that's just where I fall. Um, I want to talk more about your background in quarterback scouting and the processes you're going to use when you look at games in the preseason and the regular season. But before I get there, I want to tell the listeners about this show's sponsor, Play Draft. Um, not only does Play Draft offer snake drafting DFS during the regular season, but they now offer best ball drafts leading up to the season. Uh, these are also snake style drafts, uh, but because they're best ball, there's no in-season management required. It's all about the draft, which, you know, if we're being honest, is always the best thing about fantasy sports. You just draft it and forget it. Your best lineup is selected automatically every week, um, so you don't have to worry about setting the right lineup. Uh, you draft really quickly in real time on your web browser or using Play Draft's mobile app. Or you can do a slow draft if you want. Um, you know, maybe you have a day job or a night job or kids or school or I mean, you get the picture. You compete for real cash prizes on Play Draft, but entry started only three bucks, so it's easy to fit a few drafts into your budget. The best part about signing up through this podcast is you get your first draft for the low price of free ninety nine, and that means free. Uh, it's a free draft. Uh, here's how you do that: you go to PlayDraft.com/backslash/twoqb and sign up using the same promo code TWOQB. With your first deposit, if you do that, you'll get a ticket to start drafting your first best ball league for free. That's playdraft.com slash TWOQB with the promo code TWOQB. Let's get back to Derek. Mr. Klassen, I want to talk to you about what you're looking for in the preseason when you watch quarterbacks. And before we get into kind of the specifics, give me a little background on how you got into this and what your general process is for scouting quarterbacks. Yeah, so quick background is I started um, just watching and writing about football. I think in I think it was 2013. Uh, it was my sophomore year of high school, um, and I had just quit soccer at the time. And I was like, all right, I, I still have to do something to you know as a hobby or something. So I just I I'd always liked football as a kid. So I just decided I would watch more, and I ended up finding Draft Breakdown, which is a, a great resource. And just I started watching college guys from there, and I've been doing that ever since. And then. I think in about 2015, like that 2015 draft class, I just realized that I was super attached to quarterbacks more than anything else. And so 
I just started slowly gravitating my, you know, quote unquote brand to be more of a quarterback guy than anything else. And so I've just kind of been doing that ever since. So as you're looking at these guys from a scouting perspective, what is important to you? What are you looking for? Uh, the first thing, well, maybe not the first thing, but I think one of the things I really like to look for is how guys move in the pocket. Um, and I've said before, and a lot of other great quarterback minds have said this before too, um, like Kean Fahey and, and a couple of other guys like that, is that if you look at a quarterback's feet, you can pretty much tell what's going on in their mind. And I had really stressed this with Jared Goff uh, when he was coming out of Cal. Uh, if you look at him, he had really like typewriter feet, like he was always moving his feet and it always looked like he was doing something in the pocket. But really, he was just moving them fast and it wasn't really productive. You know, he wasn't moving his feet into better throwing positions or anything like that. It was really just movement for the sake of movement, movement, and I don't like seeing that because I think a lot when a lot of people look at quarterbacks, they just like to see the sheer movement, and I just don't think that that's productive. I think that you can look at a guy like Cam Newton who really doesn't do a ton of extra movement in the pocket, but all of his movements are really smooth. He knows exactly how he's trying to set up his throws and stuff like that, and so I don't think it's necessarily about how much movement. It's about how productive you can be with your feet and, and guys do it totally differently and you just want to see how well they can move in the pocket how well they can adjust to pass rush which coming from different angles and so that one's big to me um, another one is just how confident and how poised guys can stay under pressure um, not necessarily just like evading pressure and then maybe moving out of the pocket and making throws from there but also being able to stand in the pocket and and throw even if you know you're about to get hit in the chin you know Deshaun Kaiser um, had just a handful of throws like that uh, while at Notre Dame, especially if you watch his Michigan State game from 2016. You know, down the stretch, he just has a handful of throws where pockets collapsing and he throws 20 yards down the field, and it doesn't really matter that there's a defender or the window's tight. Um, so I definitely like to see quarterbacks that are like that. And then lastly, another thing I think is really important is arm talent. And I don't necessarily mean the guy that has the strongest arm or the most velocity because – I think arm talent really has to be relative to someone's skill set because if somebody has a really strong arm but really has no way how to use it, kind of like a Joe Flacco, if he's not using it functionally, his arm strength doesn't really matter. Um, and then a guy who's on the total opposite end of the spectrum uh, like now is Tom Brady. Tom Brady's arm is, is not at all what it used to be, but he's so good at getting passes off at the right time um, to the right receiver and making his mechanics so much so that he's getting the most velocity out of his arm strength that he can and to see guys like that and just to make sure that they can use their arm talent in a functional way I think that that's really important to see yeah that timing and that sense of the moment is is so important for these guys like accuracy and timing are, are half the battle or probably more than half the battle when it comes down to things um what is kind of the opposite for you like things that people talk about when they're scouting quarterbacks that maybe you don't think are very important I think when a lot of people watch quarterbacks, they tend to, or at least it seems like in my perspective, the guys that get hyped up, you know, around draft time tend to be the guys that are really safe with the ball. And I don't think that being safe with the ball is a bad thing. I mean, obviously the quarterback should protect the ball as much as he can. Um, but I think some guys get penalized too much for being aggressive and sometimes can get overhyped too much for being really safe with the ball. Um, like I think, I think we saw this with uh, Mitchell Trubisky last year a little bit. Um, I didn't think Trubisky was bad, but I thought he was kind of more of a late first, you know, early second type of guy. 
you know, he kind of got hyped up for protecting the ball really well because I think he only threw four interceptions or something that year. And, I mean, it can be totally different because when you look at the film, like Trubisky got a lot of attention for being a guy who didn't throw interceptions, but I think that was due in part because he wasn't making a lot of the right throws. When you look at Teddy Bridgewater at Louisville, I think he only threw three or four interceptions his last season, but it wasn't because he was passing up on a lot of the right throws. It was because he was always making the right throw and he was always doing it with such great placement that he was able to be really productive and easily move the ball down the field. So I think just the sheer amount of interceptions can kind of get overhyped in quarterbacks. Um, and then, like I said, the the way that some guys can move in the pocket, I think, gets overhyped. Like I said, guys with typewriter feet, um, they just tend to get overhyped because people really like to see movement. And that movement isn't always productive because um, you know, if you watch late career Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning had those typewriter feet, but he was really, really good at it, and he knew what he was doing. A lot of guys that are in college, they just don't, and they're really probably moving just because they're jittery and a little bit nervous, um, and that's definitely something that I don't like to see. Um, we saw this with Nathan Peterman last year. I think that's a good example, and so um, I think just sheer movement in the pocket isn't necessarily a good thing. I think it has to be productive, and I think learning the difference between what is and what isn't productive movement in the pocket uh, is important. Yeah, and I like that you are looking at something in that regard that isn't necessarily dependent upon context. Like, there's going to be a pocket on basically every pass play, um, and then you can kind of dismiss the ones where the pocket maybe collapses immediately. So looking for that sort of movement makes sense. That's intuitive to me. But in the larger scheme of things, these guys are, you know, in different plays, different uh, facing different opponents and playing in different levels of competition all the time. So how do you factor in that context of supporting cast, uh, the, the competition or the defense they're facing, or, you know, practice film versus preseason film versus regular season film versus playoffs film? Like, how do you try to filter that sort of bias out and really cut down to the core of what makes these quarterbacks good or bad at what they do? Well, I think as much as you can, you want to you know, separate the traits from the helmets on either on either team. I think you want to do that as much as possible. But like you said, there's just certain situations where, you know, maybe you can't. I mean, if you look at uh, Louisville last year, like their offensive line just totally fell apart toward the end of the season. And teams realized that they could blitz Louisville without any sort of really repercussions because they were going to get home to Lamar Jackson so quickly. And when they started doing that, the entire offense just, you know, blew apart. And with the way that they like to attack uh, vertically and the intermediate parts of the field, you know, they have a lot of uh, intermediate and deep routes. When they have an offensive line that can't hold up for those routes and then Lamar Jackson has to sit in a pocket that's, you know, not really going to be there, it's easy to to see how, you know, he could quickly have the offense where he's only completing maybe 50% of his passes in a given game. And now I do think he has some issues with his accuracy, but I think – there does need to be a better understanding of his context that it's a very vertical offense that didn't have the offensive line to be a vertical offense. And so I think looking at things like that is definitely important. You know, I think Florida State with uh, DeAndre Francois kind of had the same issue. Um, for an NFL example, I think the Arizona Cardinals with Carson Palmer sort of have that issue. You know, Arians loves his vertical attack, but that offensive line just really wasn't set up to to be that. And and yeah, I think you, you have to take in that context of what should the quarterback be able to get away with, you know, on this given play, given his offensive line, his receivers and stuff like that. Um, another example is if you look at the Colts, uh, Andrew Luck is definitely 
on the more aggressive side of quarterbacks, um, but he doesn't really have a guy who's good at contested catches. Now, I know Jack Doyle has a very high catch rate, but I think that was more because he was catching a lot of fairly short routes. If you're talking about a guy who needs to be, you know, a Mike Evans type or something like that, Luck doesn't have that, but I think he would benefit greatly from that given his play style. And so I think there's, you know, he kind of takes a little bit of heat that he doesn't deserve just because he doesn't have a guy that fits his play style. And that's not necessarily his fault. And so I think trying to understand the context of, you know, what is this quarterback's play style in relation to his receivers, in relation to his offensive line? What is the offensive system asking of these guys? I think you... You definitely have to pull in all of those things and and see what you can get out of it because it's not just you know you can't just look at um, you know maybe touchdown numbers or something like that because different offenses are definitely asking their quarterbacks to do different things. With regards to luck, do you think that a healthy Dante Moncrief or maybe Eric Swoop can can be that kind of contested catch possession receiver for him this year? I don't know. Definitely not Moncrief. I mean, I think Moncrief is a fine receiver, but I just don't think that that's his game. Uh, I think he's more of a, you know, every now and then you're going to get him open really deep or he's going to be able to do some run after catch type stuff. I think in terms of being a contested guy, that's just not really his game. And then Swoop, I'm just not very sold on him from what I've seen of him. So I don't really know if he can be that guy either. Um, I understand that they want to be a really vertical offense and that's why they keep drafting all these speed guys. But I really do think that Andrew Luck would really benefit from having a guy like I mean, like a Vincent Jackson type or something. And I know signing Vincent Jackson now is not the answer, but a type like him, I think Luck would really, really benefit from. Yeah, I could see that. So when you kind of put everything together from your you know, big gumbo of QB scouting, what types of quarterbacks tend to evaluate better or worse for you? Like, uh, as an example, can you give us like a more under-the-radar player who you really like? Well, that that one's actually a weird question because – uh, I, I think Tyrod Taylor consistently gets underrated in terms of what he's able to do, but it's weird because he doesn't really fit the type of quarterback that I tend to <laughs> push up. It's it's a really weird dynamic. Um, I, I think Taylor is extremely talented. I think he's a pretty good deep passer when he has you know wide receivers capable of, of getting open. You know, like Sammy Watkins when he's healthy. Um, I think Tyrod Taylor has a really good mobile game. Uh, you can roll him out. You can get him on triple option stuff like Anthony Lynn was having him do. Um, he's definitely a versatile guy. I think he's not great over the middle of the field, but I think he's good enough running like short West Coast stuff and then the occasional deep ball in addition to what he can do with scrambling and running by himself that he is an average to slightly above average quarterback. And I don't get why Buffalo seems to kind of be a little shaky on him. That one I don't understand. It's baffling. It is. It is. Uh, but the type of quarterbacks I tend to like are the guys who are not necessarily reckless, but definitely willing to be aggressive. You know, guys that are in offenses that like to test the intermediate and vertical ranges a lot. Um, so I enjoy watching guys like Carson Palmer. I'll kind of be a little bit more lenient with them. Uh, maybe a Jameis Winston, just because I think that even if sometimes it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, I think the value of having a guy who can consistently hit, you know, maybe a a 22 yard, you know, pass or something like that. I think that's so demoralizing to a defense to have a guy who can consistently hit those routes. It's definitely something I value. And I, I, I have an admitted bias toward those type of guys. Well, and football is such a game of convergence, right? It's, it's 11 guys to a side on any given play. And I love that you bring that up because like, I think about a guy's supporting cast. Like I think about Jameis Winston and how he basically had Mike Evans and no one else to throw to last year. 
but he was still making those aggressive throws, right? And so now when they add Deshaun Jackson, when they add Chris Godwin, when they add OJ Howard, you know, maybe not this year, but you know, down the road, put you can put together this story, this like hero's journey to where he started out playing aggressively and playing the way you're supposed to play with a bad supporting cast so that once the supporting cast was there, it can all come together, right? And that's what you're looking for. And that's why I love the fact that you point out that these guys don't necessarily always get it done because it's more about the process. It's more about the fact that they're trying to get those things done because that's where you get the biggest gains in football. Like that's how you have these demoralizing plays. That's how you, you know, have outlier plays that allow you to win big games against superior competition, right? Absolutely. And, and honestly, I mean, one of Tampa Bay's favorite plays was running something like, uh, you know, dagger where, you know, maybe the, the X receiver will run a 12 yard dig and then the slot receiver and sign of him will just run straight down the field and a go route. And there should be a window under the vertical route for the dig to be hit. But Tampa Bay didn't have a guy who could consistently scare defenses into blowing the top of the defense. So when Winston was trying to throw that dig window to Mike Evans, it wasn't as big as it is for where you see, you know, maybe in Arizona where they have guys like John Brown who can test down the field and then it's easier for Larry Fitzgerald to get open on the dig. Tampa Bay didn't have that, but Winston was still hitting that window fairly often. And now for Deshaun Jackson to be there to open that up a little bit and then hopefully they can get their run game going again so that can help their play action game. You know, if all the right things come together for Tampa Bay, I think Winston's play style is finally going to uh, come to fruition in a way that's really, really successful. Yeah, and we've been waiting for that breakout for two years. I thought it was going to happen last year just because we saw we saw that talent in year one, and I was ready for him to just explode in year two, and I overranked him. I, I'll admit that now, but I, I wanted to be really careful, and I've written about this on the site before, but I wanted to be really careful about not overcorrecting, you know, back to, to, to bumping him down my rankings because, again, we see the tools, and now that he has the, the help, this could be the year where he does get into that top 12 or top 10th position. Now, there are still other guys I'll draft ahead of him, but I, I am not going to let last year and the year before completely dictate what I'm doing with Jameis Winston in drafts because he's still so young and he still has so much more room to grow and develop. Um, you mentioned Tyrod as a guy who you normally wouldn't like, but you know you actually end up liking because he gets it done. Tell me about some quarterbacks who you just don't like, who who don't get it done for you at all. Um, Kirk is the big one. I'm really not a, a big Kirk Cousins fan. Ooh. I think, <laughs> I mean, I understand he's he's very productive, um, sort of. I, I think the way that I, I describe uh, Kirk Cousins is that he's definitely a volume guy, but a lot of what he does is just empty. I think when, I mean, McVay was just a fantastic uh, play caller and scheme guy. And he was able to get Jamison Crowder open deep a lot. He was able to get Deshaun Jackson open deep a lot. And Kirk Cousins was consistently missing those guys. Um, there's there's one spe- there's one specific throw versus uh, early in the year, I think against Dallas, where he has Jamison Crowder. I mean, nobody's near him near the end zone, and he just misses him by like 10 yards. And for me, Kirk Cousins just has way too many throws like that. I think he's not aggressive when he needs to be, but then he makes super reckless, stupid decisions when he just can't afford to. Um, I think too often he'll be conservative and, and pick up yards that, like I said, don't mean anything. I think the um, Steelers game was a good example. Like, I think he threw for 300-plus yards, but it didn't amount to anything, and they couldn't do anything against the Steelers' offense because 
the Steelers knew that if they created windows underneath and then forced him to throw, you know, intermediate and deep, that he couldn't. And to me, when a guy can't hit those windows consistently and make defenses fear him, I, I just don't buy into him. And I don't think Kirk is bad. I just not not as good as the hype. Exactly. I, I don't love think that. that. I don't think he's a guy that um, Washington should pay. I'll say I'll put it that way. Okay, and he's been a guy who's getting a lot of hype in fantasy this year based upon the fact that people look at the yardage totals relative to his touchdown totals and think, oh, well, based on how many yards he's picking up, regression tells us that he's going to start scoring more touchdowns as we move forward. But you just made the case that maybe the reason he's compiling all those extra yards, it, it, I mean, it's 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 giving giving us a fool's gold situation here where the regression isn't going to come because he's not picking up those yards in the ways that he needs to be picking them up. Now, he's also a fairly young guy. He could get better, but I'm with you in that. I think he's a little overrated. I think the hype is a little overblown. And I think, you know, the transition away from McVay, the transition to some new receivers in that offense makes him a riskier pick than people are making out, making cousins out to be in 2017. I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up because most people that I've talked to this season are all aboard the Kirk Cousins bandwagon, and I'm hesitant to get on. Now, I actually just moved him ahead of Jameis Winston in our rankings for the draft guide, I think, but I don't know. After our conversation here, I may have to move him back because I would start, and this is part of the problem with, with fantasy analysis, I start to buy into, you know, if, if enough smart people tell me that Kirk Cousins is going to get better, I start to listen because they're smart people, you know, but if someone else smart like you lays out the case that kind of backs up my intuition, backs up that gut feeling that I have about a player, like sometimes I need to stick to my guns more often. And that's something that as fantasy owners, we we're always going to struggle with, but this is a good example of that for me. Let's talk about guys that you're actively going to be watching in the preseason. Are there one or two or, or maybe more quarterbacks who are fantasy relevant that you're really interested to see perform in these preseason games? Because we know the level of competition isn't, exactly stellar but what are you looking for so i think one obvious one is uh whatever the browns are trying to do at quarterback um they just came out and said that they're starting osweiler for the first preseason game but i think that's just kind of a show i don't think osweiler is at all going to be their dude going into week one i don't even know i'm not even super confident he'll be on the roster um so i think it's going to be more looking at deshaun kaiser and, and cody kessler and seeing if either of those two can separate themselves. Um, personally, I was a big Deshaun Kaiser guy uh, at college, um, and I'm not a huge Cody Kessler guy right now. I thought Kessler was fine, but it seems like some people are pushing into like, no, 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 he can be the starter. And I just don't think that that's a guy you want being your week one quarterback. It's kind of like Matt Moore. Like he can be fine in a pinch, but you really don't want that dude to be your week one starter. And I think that's kind of where I'm at with Kessler. So I really want to see Kaiser uh, prove that he can be better than Kaiser and be or better than Kessler, and be the Browns guy uh, week one. And I think that'll be huge for someone like Corey Coleman, who's a good deep threat, and Deshaun Kaiser's a good deep passer. Uh, another one is the Broncos quarterback situation, obviously. I was a passing guy in college as well, and he's just not been good in the pros. You know, he was bad as a rookie when he played. Uh, he didn't really show many of his good traits. And then even this offseason, he's not really, you know, reports don't sound like he has at all separated himself from Trevor Simeon now. They might start him anyway because, you know, he's your first round pick. And I think at some point you just have to. Uh, but, it, you know, things aren't really looking good for him. So hopefully he can show that he's been better than it sounds like he's been in camps and pre or in, in uh, yeah, training camps and practices. Can I dig and a then, little deeper on Lynch with you real quick? 
Oh, yeah, for sure. So you talked about the traits that he showed in college that you haven't seen in the pros. What traits are those? Like, what, what specifically are you, did you see then that you're not seeing now? So I think most, mainly he was, he was a very good deep passer in college. Uh, his arm was pretty good. And, you know, he could consistently throw from maybe the, the left hash to the right sideline and hit those type of throws. And I just don't think we really saw that in Denver uh, last season. I think that he was a little bit quicker on his feet. When he was in Memphis, I think he was a little bit faster to get the ball out of his hand. Uh, and maybe part of that is just he's a late bloomer or something in the NFL. But from what I've seen, it looks like he just couldn't pick up the playbook at all. And he was just really, really slow. And maybe that doesn't get fixed. And then another thing, I don't think he made good use of his mobility in the pros. I think he had a handful of plays where maybe he scrambled outside of the pocket. But in college, you know, he was so useful as a runner, uh, both designed and as a scrambler, that you know, he was really deadly to defenses. And I think in Denver, we just really didn't, we didn't see him be very productive with his feet. And I think that that is definitely a concern. Um, and then kind of tying into his deep passing, I thought his arm was better in college than it is now. And I know he had some shoulder issues and maybe he just, you know, never fully healed from that. And maybe he never will, you know, some guys get like a degenerative shoulder problem and just, it never works out for them. And so that might be the problem with Paxton. If it is, that's unfortunate, but uh, like I said, just haven't seen as many of the, the good traits in the pros that I thought I saw in college. Okay, fair enough. Now, you, I think you had one more guy you wanted to talk about watching in the preseason. Yeah, Carson Wentz. Um, I didn't really like Carson Wentz in college, to be honest. I thought in a lot of ways his rookie season was overrated. I think he ended up playing better than I thought he would for what my you know round grade and all that was uh, as a college player. But I think, you know, the scheme really protected him. Um, and when he was actually throwing down the field and stuff and throwing to the intermediate level, he made a lot of mistakes. But, you know, his completion percentage and stuff still got uh, boosted because they were running so many short passes. Um, so I want to see if he can maybe clean up some of his footwork in the preseason. I want to see if maybe he's a little bit uh, quicker with his reads because, you know, Justice Mosqueda said this about Wentz. He can't really walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he can't really move his feet and read the field at the same time. So I want to see if maybe he's gotten better at that. Um, so if he can get a little bit better at those things and show that in the preseason, I'll be a little bit more hopeful for him uh, heading into his sophomore year. Yeah, Wentz is a guy that I think is also I also think is overrated. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he did surprises last year. He played above his head. We we all admit that, but we don't necessarily, we're not ready to, you know, factor in natural regression. We just assume that because he's young, he's definitely going to get better this year. And I'm in no way ready to make that sort of call. Like if anything, like I could see him getting worse. I could see him being exactly the same. It, it, there's just too much unknown with him. And like you said, we didn't really see him do that next level stuff that we want to see a quarterback do like Jameis Winston did in his rookie year. Uh, for me to be excited about Wentz, he's a guy who I'm not touching at all really in fantasy this year. I want to wrap up with you uh, looking at some guys who we know we're going to be backup. So you, you mentioned a lot of QBs there who have potential to become the starter for week one on their respective teams. But in terms of the guys who are playing behind more established starters, which backup QBs will you have your eye on in the preseason? Uh, Connor Cook is one. Uh, we saw a little bit of Connor Cook for the Raiders last year after Carr uh, got injured. It wasn't pretty. Now, it was not. And I, I liked Cook a little bit in college. I had like a day two grade on him. I thought he could be a guy maybe you stash um, behind a starter. You know, I thought maybe like a Carson Palmer and then develop him into into that type of offense. 
Um, but yeah, Cook was just really bad when he had to play last year. And I think part of that is, you know, he was getting third string reps and then in like a week's notice, he had to become the starter or he had to come in and take, uh, you know, starter reps. And I think that was just a, a terrible transition for him. So now maybe with another season under his belt, he can look a little bit better. Um, so I definitely want to keep my eye on him this preseason and see if he can be, um, at the very least, just a solid backup for the Raiders to hold on to. I think that would be really nice, um, just in the event that Carr gets hurt again. Um, another one is Brett Hundley. I think, you know, we've been hyping. I mean, I know I liked Brett Hundley a little bit in college. I thought he was the third best guy behind uh, Mariota and Winston in that class. Ever since then, he's gotten like the, oh, the Green Bay Packers are going to flip him for, uh, you know, a third round pick, which is more, <laughs> which is better than they had drafted him for. And, I mean, we just haven't seen that much good play out of Hundley when he's had to play. And so I want to see if this year he has maybe taken a step and shown that he's actually worth a team panicking and trading for him. Um, because I think in college we saw some of those traits. You know, he had a decent arm. He could run. Um, so I think it's it's definitely going to be interesting to track him and see if he can at least, you know, kind of like Connor Cook, at least turn into a functional backup. Yeah, Hundley's a really interesting guy. I mean, he's basically... Garoppolo of the NFC, right? He's playing behind the best quarterback in his conference, and if that guy goes down, he's going to have a bunch of really good weapons ahead, like at his disposal in the offense. I mean, if if Brett Hundley becomes a starter in Week Four because Aaron Rodgers, you know, breaks his arm, that guy's going to have a ton of fantasy value, and so we really do need to keep an eye on players like him in the preseason to see what we're going to get because a lot of the time when that happens, when a, a guy does get unexpectedly hurt. The backup can come in and succeed if the backup is competent, but if the backup isn't competent, that's a guy we don't want to be starting. That means we need to adjust how we feel about all the weapons in that offense, uh, you know, like Jordy Nelson, like Devontae Adams, etc. And so, yeah, I, I love that call. He's the guy I'm going to be looking at as well because he is on one of those high-profile offenses for fantasy purposes. Derek, is there is there anything else you want to touch on in terms of scouting process here before we wrap up? No, I think I'm good. I think we, you know, covered most of the bases, covered all the important ones at least. Cool. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on, man. It's been great having you right for the site. I love all the work you did for the draft guide. And um, why don't you tell folks where they can find you on social media and maybe give them a heads up about uh, what you're working on, what to look for in the future. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. And thank you for having me on. Uh, You guys can find me at QB class on Twitter, QBKLASS. Um, I also do work for Bleacher Report. I do work for Optimum Scouting, and you can also find all my quarterback-centric stuff here at 2QBs. Awesome, man. Well, uh, listeners, if you have any questions for Derek or for me, uh, you can hit you know us up on Twitter. He's at QB Class. I'm at Greg Sauce. You can send general stuff to the site's Twitter account, at uh, 2QBs, or by email, 2QBs at gmail.com. And in both those cases, you spell it out, T-W-O-Q-B-S. If you have time, I would encourage you to rate and review this podcast uh, on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else. Uh, if you screenshot your review, send it to 2QBs, either at, on Twitter or by email. Uh, you will be entered in for a chance to win a free copy of our 2017 draft guide. I'm going to be announcing a winner next week, and so far I have zero reviews. So if you're the one person who reviews the podcast between now and then, you're going to win a draft guide. And, you know, do the numbers, even if four people review it you still have a 25 percent chance so these are these are really good odds um with that said if you just want to go ahead and buy the guide right now uh if you have a draft coming up this week and you can't wait uh you can go to 2qbs.com use the promo code 2qbxp for 10 percent off and that's the number two qbxp 10 percent off your copy of the 2017 draft guide 
that's it. Thank you all for listening. For Derek, for myself, we'll catch you next time on the 2QB Experience. Adios. <laughs>